Anti-Semitism is everyone's problem. It's not just a Jewish problem. Anytime there is prejudice or stereotype or singling out of a group based on their ethnic or religious identity, there's something very wrong here. We are looking at the unraveling of the Arab-Israeli conflict, which dominated the landscape for many years. That conflict is now receding. For Zion's sake, we must not be silent. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Kufi Middle East Briefing. My name's Kasim Hafiz and my co-host... Karina. I'm here as well. Thanks for joining us, Karina. And for that <laughs> Thanks for having me, introduction. <laughs> um, I'm just so excited to be here. It's going great. Uh, we have an excellent show planned this week. And I know I say this every week, but I think every show is excellent. And I am a little biased, but that's, that's where we're at. I think they've significantly improved since you've gotten a co-host, but but I agree. They're all excellent. You know, it was really important when we got a co-host that they exhibited a lot of humility. And I think we've, you know, we've really, we've, we hit the mark with that. So. What can I say? That's me. A picture of humility. Well, on that very positive note, um, we will be right back with the news. All right. Welcome back. We are here for the news. Hope you didn't miss us too much as we were gone for about 17 seconds. Um, so what do we have going on in the world, the Middle East, the, uh, the, the news, Karina? What's going on in the news today? <laughs> well, Kasim, right now, uh, rather excitingly, we do have Kufi leadership in Israel uh, with Nikki Haley, uh, the former ambassador for the UN. Oh. And- um, to the UN, I should say. And they're having a special solidarity mission. And uh, from what I hear, it's going really great. That's awesome. Uh, I'm, I mean, it is awesome. I'm not surprised because I also knew that was happening. But right. and it's just honestly, it's so great that we have our leadership in Israel right now as the country's reopening. And it's just gone through a very difficult kind of moment. And I guess that's a huge part of what Kufi does, whether to stand with Israel. And I think it was uh, former Ambassador Ron Derma who said the only thing better than standing with Israel is standing in Israel. So, oh, that's go. good, right? That's really Did, uh, good. Make a T-shirt. Um, you should put that on the wall. You should. Anyway, moving <laughs> <laughs> on from our merchandising plans. Uh, um, so this is an interesting one. So Secretary of State, U.S. Secretary of State, uh, Anthony Blinken, has warned that the amount of breakout time that Iran needs to assemble an atomic bomb could be reduced to just weeks if Tehran keeps violating the 2015 accord limiting its nuclear program. He said this speaking to Congress. Now, hmm. I don't really know what to comment on this because... Secretary of State um, Blinken has, you know, admitted this, and he goes, "Look, their program is galloping forward, right? Because they're violating the agreement. Yet we're trying to get back into the agreement. Yet we would like them exactly to come back into that same agreement. So I, I mean, I, I don't know what to. I'm lost for words. Me. So like mm-hmm. that, that says a lot. It just, it, it. I'm not. I'm not really sure what the thinking is. Maybe you know. Maybe. There is a strategy here. Maybe there is some sort of strategic thinking that I'm unaware of. But on the one hand, 
to be saying Iran is violating the deal and they're getting closer and closer to a nuclear breakout time. And then on the other hand, you have teams negotiating with Iran to get them back into a deal that they're violating anyway. So Right. And handing them tons of money. Yes. So Well, it's interesting. We released the results of a poll that Kufi did um, in, in conjunction with the GS Strategy Group. And that revealed that the majority of Americans are actually um, in support of maintaining sanctions against Iran. So that was an interesting finding. It, I mean, I think a lot of times the loudest voices aren't always the ones which are reflective of the majority. Mm, um, it's just the loudest people just somehow impose their will. But I mean, the, the results from that poll are in, very interesting and hopefully give the, our leaders in Washington pause to consider those things before they move ahead in any direction. Right. Some insight. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. On that note, um, the, the poll also found that the Palestinian uh, Authority does not have the support of the American people in the sense of that most Americans still support um, the American administration withholding aid from the Palestinian Authority until they stop paying terrorists um, for killing Israelis and others. And yet this week we saw that the Palestinian Authority is forging on ahead and paying uh, the family of a Palestinian terrorist who murdered two Israelis $42,000. Um, so that kind of activity is unacceptable and the American population uh, as a whole thinks so. So it's interesting because, uh, again, with uh, Secretary of State Blinken, he was actually in Ramallah, I think, think maybe two weeks ago to meet with Abbas mm -hmm. and when he was speaking to the House Foreign Affairs Committee he said that he believed that part of the reason Abbas cancelled the elections bear in mind Abbas has been in power for I think 15 years now maybe 16 16 um, I think yeah so you know it's uh it's quite the democratic cycle there uh, but they believe that part of the reason he cancelled the elections, which were scheduled for this year, was that he was afraid that Hamas would make significant gains, um, which is interesting because, one, I don't think that's surprising to anyone who is watching the region or takes an interest in what's going on. But right. secondly, how that ties into the recent flare-up in violence that, that has just kind of calmed down in the last week or so so mm -hmm. I think that's a it's really interesting that, that observation was made while again i don't think enough has been said or raised about how look because we all know hamas are firing rockets but not enough was said about how fatah and abbas's party the moderates mm -hmm. as things are called were instigating and inciting to violence in Jerusalem, which really started this cycle off. And still are, yeah, according to reports. They're still calling wow. for an intifada and for an uprising even after the ceasefire. That's I mean that's crazy. And we are we I think we are now giving them aid again. So mm -hmm. that's yes. um, I think one other story I, I just I just remembered so the head of UNRWA in Gaza, he had to leave his job because he said in an interview that, no, I don't believe that Israel is intentionally targeting civilians. 
in the mm-hmm. conflict. He went, no, I think Israel went to great lengths. I'm not quoting word for word, but basically Israel went to great lengths to avoid civilian casualties. Now I don't believe that they are targeting civilians. A day later, he was out of a job because Hamas wow. was very happy. And now the interesting mm-hmm. thing is, so the new interim head of UNRWA, uh, the United Nations uh, Works and Relief Agency, has taken up his job and he you know, said that what his pr- the previous head said was completely disgusting and unjustifiable. And he said this after a meeting with Yaya Simwa, the head of Hamas. So <laughs> you have a UN agency which is hanging out with Hamas, who are a terrorist organization in the US, Canada, the EU, most most countries. Right, right. So, it looks like a duck. Probably is a duck. Or a yeah. terrorist organization. Or a terrorist organization. Either <laughs> or. And on that incredibly um insightful note. Yes, there we go. Couldn't say positive. Um, That is the news for this week. And I think we have a promo. I think we do. We do. Okay, we'll be back after this quick word from Kufi. Recently, Israel experienced a barrage of rocket attacks from Gaza, resulting in the deaths of 13 innocent Israelis and wounding hundreds more. As watchmen on the walls, it is our duty and privilege to stand with Israel and the Jewish people for such a time as this. This month, with your gift to support Israel, we will send you five Kufi Solidarity Pins to share with friends and family so they can proudly display their support for Israel. Give today at www.kufi.org June. All right. Well, that was a wonderful message from Kufi. And we are back. Um, I have the pleasure of entering our next guest for this podcast. And her name is Zina. And I believe you and you and she go go back a little bit, right, Kasim? Yeah, we've known each other for a few years. Right. So she is new to me and new to our listeners, I'm sure. Um, so I'm going to uh, read a little bit about her uh, experience and her expertise. So Zina has worked in the field of social media and geopolitics for seven years. She began working as a campus professional in Canada for Stand With Us, teaching students about Israel and then working with them to combat BDS campaigns, both on the ground and online. After moving to Israel, she began working in social media where she was reporting on the ground in Israel. She also created content to combat anti-Semitism all over the world. Through her work, she's created content and ran campaigns that reached millions of viewers all over the world. And today she runs a company called Social Light Creative, working on accounts like Israel's Ministry of Strategic Affairs, um, again, David Adam, ooh, a mouthful, and has even worked with the Israel Defense Forces Spokesperson Unit. She also works with several American nonprofits and recently began working with the South African Jewish community, working to enhance the community's social media presence. Uh, So throughout her years in social media, her main objective is to help communities tell their stories and to make the online world a place free of anti-Semitism. So in short, she's a social media guru, and we're super excited to have her on today. And joining us from Israel is Zina. I can never pronounce your last name. Welcome to the show, Zina. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Zina, I know you and I've known you for years, so I'm not going to pretend like we're complete stage strangers and be super formal. So thanks for joining us. Um, How's it going? Um, It's going really well. I was just saying earlier how, you know, Tel Aviv is sort of back to normal. That's the city I live in in Israel. And so it's one of like the major cities um, situated in Israel. And so um, 
we've recovered from what has definitely been a hectic month um, in Israel. But as of yesterday, all the big major corona restrictions have been lifted. So what's really exciting about that is that like we really are getting back to normal here, you know, post um, war, post corona, everything sort of, you know, stabilizing a little and we're getting like a little bit of a sense of normalcy, you know, even like tourist groups have started. And so obviously like, you know, Things are, I don't know when things can really go back to 100% normal since before Corona, but it's definitely starting to feel that way here because a lot of us have been vaccinated. And so um, things are things are good besides the traffic. Cool. <laughs> All right, we're going to go straight into the questions. So Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. I'm going to hop right in. Obviously, Kasim and you, you know, have uh, you guys go way back, but me and some of the listeners, we don't know you. So tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, how you got involved in um, your current work. Wow. Okay. So that's not even close to a simple answer, but I guess I'll sort of start <laughs> from you know, the beginning. Um, so my last name is Rachamilova, Zina Rachamilova, and I'm actually, um, my family's Russian. Um, I was actually born in Russia. And then a month after I was born, the Iron Curtain fell in Russia and wow. Jews were escaping the entire country, left, right, and center. Communism fell. And my family needed somewhere to go. So the majority of us actually came to Israel as they were accepting Jews that were escaping persecution all over the world. So I became an Israeli um, a month into my birth. Um, but the plan, and so it was really funny because my parents, they didn't really need to learn Hebrew because half of the country was filled with Russians at the time. This was in 91. Oh, wow. So the plan for my family specifically long-term was to come to Canada. It was a fresh start for a lot of new immigrants at the time. And so we stayed in Israel till I was about three years old and then immigrated to Canada. So I've got Russian roots, um, an Israeli passport, even though, you know, culturally, we never really stayed here so long for me to amalgamate to um, to the Israeli society. And then I, I, I call myself Canadian because since the age of three, I was born in Canada, but Canada is so diverse and has so many people in it that you, um, that, you know, what, like, what is really like being a Canadian, it's diversity, you know? Um, right. and so the way I got involved in my work was, um, you know, for the most part, I did the basic Jewish day school related stuff, but then um, it wasn't something so relevant to me. I think I left Hebrew school when I was in grade five. And so afterwards, it was just a matter of, you know, living my life without really any sort of identity to Judaism or Israel or any of those sort of things. Um, but then I started my first year at York University um, in Toronto. Mm -hmm. It's considered one of the most anti-Israel campuses in North America and within the first semester oh. pardon so yay York University what yay a York time. University <laughs> no right great thing knows. to be known for Kasim knows and so you know I remember walking um, in my first semester, I'll never forget this, I'm on my way to class and they were staging a mock checkpoint in the middle of the big hallway and I had no idea what was going on and someone stopped me and asked like, hi, are you Jewish? Can I see your passport? And I was just 
shocked. I was, oh my gosh. I was seriously shocked. And like that incident just followed by like anti-Israel protests. And, you know, we couldn't even do like a cultural parade without our flag being, you know, stolen and vandalized. And, you know, there was one point, you know, the year before me where a group of Jewish students had to like barricade themselves in like the um, Jewish lounge in order to like avoid like the hostile anti-Israel groups. So terrible. So it sort of drew me to really wanting to understand what was going on because, you know, Israel education is something that, you know, when I was growing up, we were very much lacking. I knew, okay, I'm Jewish. I know that Israel is the homeland of the Jewish people. And I know the world is anti-Semitic, but like, I didn't understand the details or the nuances of the conflict, you know, what's going on, you know, what brought us to where we are today. And, you know, I remember like trying to ask like so many people and I just didn't get the information. And I was really forced to take an anti-Israel class taught by a media supporting professor at my school to really try to get some sort of substance. And um, I got heavily involved in the pro-Israel community. And I started right after I graduated um, my work as a campus professional for an organization called Stand With Us Canada. It was the Canadian branch. Um, and this was right after the 2014 war. It was a very emotional time because of the, you know, between the three boys getting kidnapped and then finding out how they died and then the war, it was definitely, you know, a heavy time. And I, the, the work never felt more meaningful to me than like, you know, supporting so many students across the country that, you know, needed the support that I didn't have. Um, So this was supposed to be a one year gig for me. One year (laughs) turned into four years. And I remember sitting at a BDS hearing, just being like, okay, that's it. Like, I need to go to Israel. I can't like be here and see like the deep anti-Semitism in these people's eyes and just like live my life here. Um, But when I moved to Israel, it was sort of a different Um, I took a different route because I stopped really working in the campus field and started mostly focusing in the social media field because I started really um, with uh, with all of my campuses. The majority of them had to do BDS referendums. And so having an online presence and having to figure out how to explain to, you know, an entire campus on like through a meme or through a 10 second video why they should vote right. no to like is a challenge right you know the, the question read something like you know should our university boycott divest and sanction the following companies that are associated with israeli war crimes like that's the email that everyone's getting and you have to like convince everyone to vote no through a meme <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so i started that's what defined the world we're living in i don't know what does it's it's ridiculous and so literally that's the world we're living in now we we literally saw nothing but that throughout this entire conflict um and so the the switch went over to really not just you know combating anti-semitism on social media but i actually opened up a company with um with my business partner her name's emily schrader she's very active and vocal in the social media world and both of us started working with several clients like magen david adom which is israel's national ems organization and they are there 
during every single terror attack, every single, you know, um, rocket bombardment, everything. They're the guys on the ground. So we have to tell their stories and publicize like what's going on on the ground there. We also worked with the Ministry of Strategic Affairs. We've also sat and worked with and trained some of um, the cadets in Israel's spokespersons unit in the IDF. And so um, we do a lot of different work with several different um, nonprofits and different agencies. I also work in high tech because I definitely needed experience outside of the um, pro-Israel world as well to gain something that's not just, you know, Israel, Palestine. But um, I would mm-hmm. say that the like that's sort of the long version of the story of like, you know, why I do what I do um, and where I am today. So, wow. Awesome. I mean, that's quite the story. Well, I remember when you moved to Israel, we hadn't spoken for a while. We were both living in Canada. I'm like, hey, Zena, how's it going? Good. I'm moving to Israel. I was like, oh, okay. That's cool. Um, that's literally how it happened for me, too. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, on that note, though, so I know you touched on this at the start. What's it been like in Israel over the last few weeks with everything happening? I mean, I saw you post on Instagram in the middle of a conflict, you decided to go for a run and the sirens started sounding. Um, I guess that's just one example of kind of, it's almost like an alternate reality, like to yeah. comprehend that in the, in the U S or Canada, they yeah, can out for a run and there are, there are rocket sirens. So what's it been like on the ground over the last few weeks? I mean, that specific incident for me, we knew that there was rockets coming in in the south and we sort of knew um, that they were saying that they were going to aim for Tel Aviv because they had threatened to do that. And the thing that people need to understand about Tel Aviv, which is something very interesting, is like, from what I understand, a lot of counterterrorism experts have explained that Tel Aviv is Israel's pride and joy. You know, we're the startup capital of the world. We're so unique and different than so many other cities across Israel that if you want to hit Israelis where it hurts, you aim for their pride and joy, which is Tel Aviv. And so, you know, how seriously do you take Hamas? Because they say things like, you, you, I, I, mean, I mean, it's funny because like, how seriously do you take a terror organization? But like, yeah. they say what they want. They're like, they're like, at 6 p.m., we're going to like bomb Tel Aviv. We're going to like send rockets over to Tel Aviv. They didn't show up at 6 p.m. So what do you do? You go on a run because our lives need to continue. Literally, our mm-hmm. lives need to continue. They can't just stop because of terrorism. And what was really like, horrible for me was I was far into um, the Tayelet, which is the the boardwalk. I was like far running in there and I heard the siren. I take off my headphones. I heard the siren and there's just several of them over me, just like several. You're seeing 30 all over. And like, even though this is supposed, this is against what you're supposed to be doing, you're supposed to immediately drop to the ground um, and like cover your head. I just tried, I wanted to get home. So I started running home. And then the second siren came off and I had to, me and a couple other people had to run and hide in a restaurant. And like, as I ran into the restaurant and turned around, I just saw like 30 more of them coming from the direction that I was running in. And so like within, by the time I got home and another wave had gone off. And, 
you know, we feel, thank God, okay for the most part because the Iron Dome um, can intercept a lot of rockets. Although I have to say that, unfortunately, so many people in the center of Israel, um, you know, there, there were plenty of homes that were hit in Petah Tikva, in Ramat Gan, which is all like the heart and center of Israel and people lost their lives um, in the center as well. So we're not immune. We're definitely not immune here. But, you know, we're sitting there. And what what was very tough was when you start walking, any sound you hear, you're immediately on edge. Anytime you hear like a boom, like if a, like, you know, if a truck moves too loudly or if the wind is too loud because like the start of the siren sounds like the wind, you're just on edge. And with the riots that were going on here, that made it even worse because, you know, that's the biggest fear is a divided, you know, community, even though they 100% don't represent the majority of Israelis. But, you know, you're sort of, we were all very much on edge and there was a feeling of tenseness. And I've never seen Tel Aviv, which is such a lively city, so dead and desolate at night. It was, it was very tough, but we've, we've recovered. We're resilient. So we, we know how to move on here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go ahead. I, I just wanted to ask, you know, you said that our lives have to go on even with terrorism. Like, where does that come from? Like you, like you said, you grew up in Canada and you've lived in Israel for a number of years. That must be an adjustment when you're, you'll say that, and you just said it like very directly, our lives have to go on even with rockets and terrorism. Like how, how do you make that switch? Like from a mental perspective, because like, you know, in, in countries like the US or Canada, bad things happen and we're like, oh my God, everything shuts down and we all have to like, you know, oh my God, like a celebrity dies and it's like, oh my God, like the world has to shut down for a week and, and that's it. So right. like, what's it like making that switch? Was it easy? Is it difficult? Or do you just get on with it? Like, It's a very interesting question. Um, I I guess you really just have to experience it to really understand it because you're it, it's it's funny this one girl I knew said like they went to a wedding the next day and then they got back from the wedding and a siren went off so they had to like run into a shelter with a bunch of random strangers in their wedding gear um, and even during the um, like the peak of the bombardments I also went into I also attended a wedding and because like I think the normal things sort of keep you sane throughout it because if you're only focusing on the terror, if you're only focusing on the fear, like, like I, I don't want to pretend like it didn't affect any of us that like, oh, you know, a siren went off and that's it. For some Israelis who are so used to this, like 100%, um, that was the case for them. But um, you sort of need the normal routines and you sort of need like the, you like to, to attend a wedding. It was something so meaningful for me during that time. And like, even the, um, like we used so much humor to sort of cope with it, you know, like there, the amount of memes that were going on about like, you know, Hamas is just like another, you know, jerk who says he's going to call it this time and doesn't show up and then call it three <laughs> hours later those sort of things and it's true that's so, a good one yeah yeah um, i mean i think for us in the states that's it's an unfathomable reality and so hearing your perspective is really um i'm sure helpful for our listeners just as far as 
conceptualizing exactly what life was like for you all for that week and a half. Um, on our side, what we did see and what Kufi was focused on um, in large part during the latter half of the conflict was the anti-Semitism that was surfacing on social media and and spiking uh, in person as well all over the world. So uh, obviously you saw some of the, the, the memes and the various videos that were taken out of context and things that came up on social media. Why do you think that that, that anti-Semitic content spikes during conflicts like these? Like, what's your take on that? I mean, it's definitely the million dollar question. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, I, it's, it's ironic that you ask me this because first after I've been here almost three years in Israel and when you're in Israel, you're sort of a little removed from like the intensity and the anti-Semitism that you, um, used to experience. So like, you know, I, I know, I don't feel the need to be so, you know, raw, raw Israel here because like I'm in Israel and my life, this is my life now, you know? So I almost forgot how truly anti-Semitic the world was and seeing just how much what happens in Israel completely directly affects Jews should show the world just how much, you know, we, 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 we have these conversations about IRA and how, you know, part of the definition is IRA is holding Israel, is holding Jews accountable for the actions of the Israeli government. And mm -hmm. the hundred percent, what we saw throughout all of this, that people were taking what was going on in Israel and completely using it as an opportunity to just attack Jews. And it, I, I just feel what I could see from all of this is that they just needed something. These people, that anti-Semitism is a hundred percent alive and real, and they just needed, you know, an excuse to really showcase it. Like it's very weird for me because, like, I'm not anti-Palestinian. In fact, moving to Israel has completely made me more empathetic to the Palestinians. It's made me. I, I've met Palestinians. I've gone to like the Gaza border. I've gone into the West Bank. I've spoken to those people. It's completely humanized the experience for me here. So I feel that my eyes have completely opened after going from like being very like you know, knowing what I knew just based off of like the media and a textbook and the history and this, and then actually moving here and seeing it firsthand. I completely don't want any Palestinian in pain or, you know, in harm's way um, at all. And I completely understand that the things Israel needs to do in order to keep us safe, sometimes terribly affects them, <laughs> terribly affects the Palestinians. And I'm completely so sorry. And I empathize with these people for that. But I'm just shocked at how, you know, in just one moment, the anti-Semitism has spiked and especially on social media. Like we, we see that what happens on social media directly impacts Jews all over the world with, you know, with what we saw. So... Well, it's, it's really interesting hearing you talk about the Palestinians because, honestly, it's you, you've talked more about empathy and caring about the Palestinians than I've heard all these anti-Israel activists talk <laughs> about the Palestinians for weeks because all they talk about is Israel and what Israel is doing. There's not actually... And I think when you're so far removed, because ultimately, for so many of these activists, 
outside of Israel in the US or Canada or Europe, the conflict and the situation day to day doesn't affect their life. Like no. it, it simply doesn't. And if, so it's easy to make these sweeping statements. Um, but I guess, like, can we change this perception? Can we change this, I don't know, this flood of anti-Semitism online and how it translates into the real world? How do we change it? And is it actually possible to change this? You're asking me very existential questions here. Listen, I think that First of all, what you had brought up about people being so far removed, um, I've had to talk to several people about being very careful with how they phrase things and the way that the, the language that they use as someone who works in social media and directly puts out the information that's coming, like that's coming out. I understand that I carry a huge responsibility with the way that I talk about the conflict because my words and the organizations and the people I am writing on behalf of, um, it carries weight. And so we have to be very careful. We have to be very, very careful with the way that we talk about the conflict. We have to understand that our words matter and that, you know, they do impact real human beings. Like us Israelis and Palestinians, we're real humans. And it's exactly like what you had said that, you know, at the end of the day, you could say whatever you want online and then you get to go home. You don't have to deal with the consequences versus myself and the Palestinians, we do. We have to deal with the slander. We have to deal with like the aftermath of everything. And so people who do care about the conflict, both people who, you know, want to make a difference and like want to learn about what's going on, they have to be very careful with the way that they are speaking, in my opinion. And then um, even more so, I think that the best thing that we can do is just put out as much content as possible that speaks about the truth and to just combat the, you know, misinformation and negativity, um, because there needs to be some, d- despite the fact that we sometimes feel like we're just dealing with like a losing battle, there needs to be an alternative voice. We have, all of us have a responsibility, um, especially during these types of situations. And so our words matter. And that's all I have to say. Can I follow up with the quick question on that though, Zena? How do you feel or your opinion on how influencer culture has really driven the, the narrative, the story, during this conflict i hate influencers i'm just gonna i don't get it like how are you an influencer is it not like a cult leader like that's basically what it means but anyway that's my personal opinion nothing to do with kufi or anyone else this is just my opinion not reflective of the organization listen it's a disclaimer it's a double-edged sword for me because on the one hand i'm someone that i i agree with you that you know the entire Um, concept of being an influencer is very weird for me, you know, like the entire, a lot of it has to um, include (laughs) self-promotion and sort of like me, 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 look at me. Um, And, you know, there's a hundred percent aspects of it that, you know, goes against my nature. So it's something hard for me. And especially as someone that was so used to writing on behalf of organizations and writing on behalf of, you know, things like 
like it, like Magen Davida Dome and the ministry. It's a, um, it's something that I, I've always been someone that cares more about the cause than the actual like way that I'm perceived from it. In the clout. In the clout for a hundred percent. However, I will say this, that as terrible as the Bella Hadid and the Gigi Hadid messages were and whatnot. They were very terrible. Um, mm-hmm. The people, a couple of my friends who have pretty strong social media followings, you know, better than like, I don't know, me. Um, <laughs> they, the, the, a couple of them that I'm thinking of in specific, they, it goes against their nature as well. A hundred percent. They're, they're my friends and I care deeply about them and they're people who like, are not doing this for the clout in any way. Um, But they have very powerful and profound stories that need to be put out there. And I think, you know, as you said, Kasim, you saw, you, you, you referenced the, um, the rocket attack that I, that I got caught up in when I was on a run because you saw my social media. So I think what's very unique and a little bit different than what we were experiencing during the 2014 war and how social media played a part of it is like for the first time we could see what people were going through throughout this. So, you know, my friends with the social media followings that they have, you know, because, you know, one of them opened up an Ethiopian heritage center and her main objective is to educate people about um, Ethiopian Jewry because it's unfortunately um, stories that are not taught in mainstream Jewish day school. And people think all Jews are white and they don't know that there's like a rich and incredible history Um behind this community. And then one of my other friends is an Arab Israeli who advocates for LGBT rights here, you know, and uh, like, and tries to fight for like the integration of Arabs within Israeli society. So both of them have different topics that they care about. But in this moment, you know, if they're going through a rocket attack, if they are posting it on their story, all of a sudden, like the world can see what we're going through. And so it is a double-edged sword because it needs to be put out there because if people only think that, you know, we're living here in la-la land while the Palestinians are dying, it's 100% not the case. Our lives are completely in jeopardy as well at the same time. So we need to be able to communicate that as well. So that's my response to you. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. So for somebody um, who's not in Israel, but who cares about Israel, um, like a lot of our listeners, a lot of Kufai's members, um, but maybe isn't too social media savvy, doesn't know exactly where to start as far as uh, online advocacy for Israel, what tips like would you give them? Well, you know, I would say social, uh, trying to understand the platforms and all of that. I know it can sometimes feel like really, you know, like, like almost like, you know, reading like Mandarin or some other language that you've never seen before with the way that like, even when I opened up TikTok, I was like, what am I doing? What's happening here? Um, But once you sort of understand and pick up the algorithm, it's important. But what I'll say 100%, um, the best thing you can do is read the information from, you know, whether it's influencers that are putting out like meaningful and incredible content that you care about, you know, like Kasima Fees here, who has been putting out, in my opinion, really great content recently, um, sharing it 
especially I appreciate early. your your advice on that like i will periodically get look if you're gonna do this this is how you have to do it uh, I sorry that, you know. <laughs> sorry um but you know sharing the content is very important engaging in the content is very important you know like that that's all i have to say make sure that you're not just like sounding like a crazy person um but actually you know trying to have conversations with people the more you share the more these these platforms get a sense early on that the content is about to go viral. And so they will reward content that gets early engagement early on. So if Kasim puts out a post that several people are liking and commenting and engaging, especially within the first several hours, all of a sudden these platforms know, wow, this is going to be something important. We should, you know, emphasize it. So the moment, the, the, the bare minimum that we could do is when we see content that we know is like a winner, we shouldn't just like, you know, be like, oh, okay, it was nice. Like it, share it, you know, on your feed, on your story, on this, um, you know, tag the person, comment and say, thank you for, you know, putting out something really important. Or if someone anti-Israel is doing something, remember that when you actually comment, you are enabling an algorithm to sort of do something but reporting um anti-semitic content as well is something important the more you report and actually try to get rid of what's going on the more likely it is going to get taken down so those are the small sort of bits and pieces that someone who cares about israel but doesn't really know where to begin can begin that's good um so I guess we're going to call on your technical skills now, like beyond, you know, that stuff. So in terms of telling your own story online, like what are the future trends and developments? Like TikTok came out of nowhere. Well, for me, it came out of nowhere, but I'm like in my 30s. Like, I don't know about TikTok, but are there any other developments in social media, any kind of technological developments that we should be looking out for, which could be great platforms to share Israel's story? One thing I'll say is that um, these platforms are constantly changing. You know, when Instagram put out the Reels features or the captions features or any of the things, automatically, like, our content can get enhanced in so many different ways. So the one thing I'll say is when a platform try something new, it generally rewards people who make use of that platform. So... My only advice is to don't be shy, you know, even if you post something or try to create something that isn't, you know, I don't know, like a masterpiece or doesn't get like a million views or something, you know, just do your best. My friends who are social media influencers, you know, quote unquote influencers, they, they, have to experiment all the time and they have to like learn and figure out like, you know, what makes sense, you know, the more content that you try to create, um, the better it gets. So it's a hard question to answer because these platforms are constantly changing and constantly adapting and changing their algorithms and whatnot. So, you know, figuring out how to write an long, meaningful, intense post on Facebook that used to be able to get millions and millions of people seeing it has now turned into how do I communicate a concept in 15 seconds over a video, (laughs) you know? So it really, it really changes. The only thing I could say is experiment, play around, 
don't be scared of a new device. Don't like, we, we don't need to get anxiety just because like, you know, we feel technophobic um, for a second, you know, it's all good. Play around with it. You'll figure it out. Yes, that's good. Reassuring advice for anyone. <laughs> so now uh, Kasim has to make a reel. Yeah, that is that where we're going next. I'm not, not going to make reels. No matter what you say, Zena, reels are not going to happen. <laughs> I appreciate all your advice. That That's a bridge too far even for me. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. What happened? <laughs> My well, Wi-Fi went spotty. Kasim's going to make a reel. Kasim's going to make a reel? I'm so No, Kasim's not going to make a reel. Regardless of the advice you give me, Zena, I'm not making reels. Why? We're going to make a reel. (laughs) We'll see. So I have a final question, which I ask all Canadians, and I know your answer, so I'm going to ask it anyway, because, okay. Aroma or Tim Hortons? And I know it's neither. It's so neither. Oh, my God. I know. So, but I have to ask it. <laughs> to be honest, the answer is Starbucks. Hey, we have another Starbucks girl. Which which we don't have here, by the way. Right, I have heard. Oh, it's it's definitely a tough situation. I will bring the hardest thing about Starbucks. living in Israel is not having Starbucks. It really is a challenge, but I'm making it through. <laughs> Well, we'll pray for thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice and service, you know, to, to the country of Israel by giving up Starbucks. Coffee is not a joke. It's not. I, I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> well, on that slightly depressing note for you about Starbucks, mm-hmm. thank you for your time, Zena. That's all we have time for this time. I'm sure we'll have you on again because I really appreciate our conversation. That was genuinely really interesting and really useful information, like very practical information for social media. So I will stand by the fact that you call yourself a social media guru in your bio. All right, it checks out. It checks out. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, guys. It was really a pleasure. And I really love and support the work that Kufi does. So you know, thank you so much for having me. And I look forward to us collaborating, hopefully seeing each other soon. And thank you. Awesome. All right. Have a good day. We'll speak to you soon. Bye. All right. Once again, I want to thank Zena for joining us. Um, that was really insightful and really interesting. It gave me some new perspectives on the challenges online and the small steps that we can all take to really combat the rising hate and telling Israel's story. Right. So, I think that her comments are going to be helpful for those of us who are trying to advocate online for Israel. No, for sure. Because the last conflict, like we talked about, was it was rough. It was rough. Mm-hmm. Um, but we will be back. We're going to take a short break with this message from Christians United for Israel. Short on time, but still want to learn more about Israel? Watch Kufi's microhistory videos while you're sipping a second cup of coffee or taking a break from work. From the events leading to Israel's miraculous rebirth as a modern nation to wars Israel has fought and more, Kufi's microhistory videos will help you learn more about Israel in minutes. 
Watch them at kufi.org slash micro history. Discussion questions for quick learning moments with a whole family are now available. Well, that is another wonderful opportunity from Kufi uh, for our listeners. And now I believe we are going to be having some biblical encouragement from a friend of ours, right, Kasim? Yes, we have Randy Neal, who is, I want to say, the Western Field Director. He also runs the Congressional Liaison Program, but he will, mm-hmm. I'm sure he'll talk many about hats. that. Yeah, Randy is, uh, Randy's been a bit of a mentor to me since I started at Kufi, and you know, he has a unique distinction of wearing a Winnipeg Jets pin to my wedding. And for that, I will always be a big fan of Randy Neal. So we'll always remember him. Hello, my name is Randy Neal. I'm a field coordinator for Christians United for Israel. I'm also the director for our Congressional Liaison Program. And I want to thank your host and my friend, Kasim Hafiz, for inviting me to open up today's Middle East briefing with this devotional. I want to draw from chapter 26 in the book of Genesis, a critical chapter, not only in the Bible, but also in the life of Isaac. We have a backdrop of a horrible famine across the land, and Isaac goes back to the plains uh, where his father Abraham once had his flocks and herds, and he approaches the king of the Philistines, Abimelech, and is able to get permission to encamp there. And uh, what does he do? He finds his father's well that had been filled up upon Abraham's death. The Philistines had filled up Abraham's wells, but but Isaac finds it and he digs it out. He cleans it out, discovers the water, and he's able to sustain his flocks and herds. And they don't just, uh, you know, stay alive. They thrive. They explode, as does his camp to the point where the Philistines grow green with envy and they throw them out. But before they do, they fill the well with rocks and earth. And then they tell him, you're way too mighty for us to get out of here. He moves eastward. He finds another one of his dad's wells. He digs it out, gets up in the morning. It too is full of rocks and, and soil. And this continues to happen. And I want us to take a note at, is, at, at Isaac's response. He doesn't confront them. He doesn't combat them. He simply has the resilience to dig another well. He keeps moving further east, finally gets to the point you know, where he hits a stream under the ground with a, just an, an ever-flowing well. And now he's blessed to the point where even the king of the Philistines, Abimelech himself, recognizes this stunning, unmistakable blessing. The Lord physically encounters Isaac, and he, and he promises to him to hand him as an inheritance the oath that he gave to his father, the oath that he made to his father Abraham. That is a very important nuance that's easy to miss. He doesn't say that he made a, an oath with his father Abraham. He made the oath to his father Abraham. As we've seen in Genesis 15, it was a one-way street of, a, of agreement. He made that covenant to him, and he, and he gave it to Isaac as an inheritance. But we see something just brilliant that even is like a foreshadowing of what we're living today. Abimelech himself, he approaches Isaac, and he, and he says, you know what? You clearly are being are blessed by the Lord. And what does he want to do? What does he want to do about it? He wants to enter into normal relations with his Israeli neighbor. He wants to form an oath between the two of them, a pact, a treat, a peace treaty, so that maybe, hopefully, you know, the blessing, the incredible favor that uh, Isaac enjoys, might spill over and be rubbed off onto. Abimelech himself and, and his his tribes, and so they enter into those relations. And I just want us to take a, take a couple of notes there as we are entering into the false narratives from the mainstream media that turn into 
absolutely twisted, perverted, you know, narratives in social media, and and just the the relentless battle of of even our platforms being shut down. Hours before I sat down to record this, one of our campus coordinators lost their platform on social media because she had the audacity to, to simply tell the transparent truth in a in a positive you know way. Uh, and, and so they're trying to use the First Amendment as, as a mute button uh, on people that are saying what they don't like. So I want us to be encouraged by the, the, the determination, the creative resourcefulness, the persistence of, of Isaac when it comes to you know staying with it and, and not becoming frustrated and, and worn down. But I want us to be encouraged and also inspired by the light of hope that we see in the Abraham Accords where neighbor after neighbor after neighbor of Israel is realizing the blessing that is in it for them if they enter into normal relations, uh, when they actually see the blessing upon Israel itself. So be encouraged by that, be inspired by that. Try to use your platforms to shine light on that. Again, mainstream media, they find great headlines when it comes to Israel, you know, finally responding, but they never find anything newsworthy about the hope that is within the Abraham Accords. And maybe we can dial the volume up on that a little bit. So God bless you. Continue to have the resilience and perseverance of Isaac Diggin another well and enjoy the podcast. Well, that was a good message um, from Randy. I think that the reiteration of God's promises to Abraham uh, multiple times throughout his life and then his son Isaac and then his son Jacob really reinforces the idea that the Abrahamic covenant is an eternal and an everlasting one um, that God made on the basis of his own faithfulness, not uh, the faithfulness of people. And that's encouraging. No, it definitely is. And it's really, uh, I like how Randy tied it into like the current situation and things that Kupai staff have been dealing with. Like he talked about the challenges for campus staff. So I think that was really important. Right, right. Right. I mean, that's we all love- we have time for. I think it is. That is that is it for today's show. We thank you for joining us. Karina, thank you for being our inspiring and a humble co-host of course it's, it's truly an honor um <laughs> i get that a lot <laughs> well good i'm glad i'm glad that people are recognizing that um so yeah so thank you for joining us have a great two weeks until we are back take care of each other god bless like subscribe tell your friends there see all that stuff all the good stuff <laughs> yeah Okay, take care, everyone. We'll see you soon.